Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This episode is supported by Starlight Canyon Bed and Breakfast, a garden oasis under a canopy of elm trees. It's located upstream from Paladuro Canyon State Park. It's just a few miles south of the loop. For one thing, it's an amazing venue for weddings. But it also offers romantic, relaxing getaways in private cabins, each with a hot tub and homemade breakfast delivered on the weekends. Every stay at this locally owned boutique hotel property can include add-on packages like candlelight dinners. Starlight Canyon is one of my favorite destinations in the Panhandle, where you can get away without going away. To learn more, visit starlightcanyon.com. That's Starlight Canyon Bed and Breakfast at starlightcanyon.com. As part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I want to give a podcast shout out to Mariner Wealth Advisors online at marinerwealthadvisors.com, to First Bank Southwest online at fbsw.com, and to Farmers Insurance Agent Leslie Massey. Read the free e-edition of Brick and Elm at brickandelm.com. Today's guest is Dr. Shane Harper, a healthcare professional who is a specialist in trauma surgery and a professor in the surgery department at Texas Tech Physicians. He's the surgical ICU director for Northwest Texas Healthcare System. Shane is also the founding editor-in-chief of the West Texas Journal of Medicine, which is a new online publication that distributes original medical and health sciences research. So we have a lot to discuss. I was particularly interested in hearing about the ins and outs of a career in trauma surgery and how that impacts you, as well as his decision to launch an independent publication, which I know a little bit about and definitely appreciate. So here's Shane Harper. Shane Harper, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for inviting us, Jason. I'm honored to talk to you, and I, I want to start with you the same way I start with all my guests, and that's just to ask why you're in Amarillo. So what brought you to this area in the first place? Well, I uh, grew up in Abilene, uh, always been a Texas boy, and after I got done with schooling and we found ourselves uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, at St. Francis Hospital, we were there from uh, about 2010 to 2000. And 17, and Dr. Dan Galvan was the the chief of surgery here at uh, Amarillo for Texas Tech. Uh, weird coincidence, we uh, happened to get together through a mutual colleague, and he thought I'd be a good fit for Galvan here in Amarillo. Uh, we ended up here in Amarillo. My wife is originally from Canadian, so she made okay. the choice that we were coming back before I could say yes or no. And we ended up at Texas Tech here in Amarillo uh, in 2011, and we've uh, we never looked back. Did you always want to get into medicine? I think so. I really, I was one of those kids that didn't really, you know, I was smart, uh, but I didn't really apply myself throughout school. You know, once we got into college, you got a little bit more serious, uh, especially when you had to start paying for college, you got real serious. And I think, you know, medicine just kind of intrigued me just because of the, you know, so diversity of it. Mm -hmm. You know, you could, you know, take care of little kids all the way up to people 100 years old. Uh, I enjoy it. No day is the same, which is good for me. It's never the same, you know, patient or patient population. It's always different, especially in trauma critical care. So it's good if you have ADD. Uh, <laughs> that, that part of it makes it good. But yeah, I think so. I think deep down, I kind of wanted to. It was just a, you know, like everybody, you're hesitant. You know, am I going to make it? Can I make it? Uh, is the work going to pay off? Okay. 
Tell me about your education path, um, having grown up in Abilene. Like, what, what was the path after that point? So, uh, proud uh, alumni of Abilene Wiley, uh, class okay. of 97. Uh, We're familiar with that school. And yeah. Other schools play them all the time. So. Yep, yep. Much bigger school than it was when I was there. But uh, uh, went from there to ACU. They gave me the best academic scholarship. Uh, was there for the, a year. Eventually ended up uh, finding myself down in uh, Texas State and had a master, or excuse me, bachelor's in uh, respiratory therapy with a couple of minors. Ended up at uh, school at UTMB, went to UTMB and uh, finished up there. Came back to Canadian uh, for about five years uh, before we went to Boston uh, to do residency in trauma critical care. Uh, And so I have a doctorate also from Lynchburg University in uh, Virginia, which we got later on uh, in addition. Uh, And really, it's it's kind of been a lifelong learn, you know, situation. Uh, I find myself every time I look up needing or wanting to do something else. My wife is getting tired of it. But (laughs) but uh, yeah, it's been it's been a journey. Did did you have a sense or or tell me this, like, when did you get the idea of which direction you wanted to go in medicine? Because as you said, there's a lot of different things you can do. And I know sometimes that kind of reveals itself to you as you go through school? Like, tell me about that process. I, uh, there is a, a thing in medicine, we kind of joke that certain personalities, you know, tend to go towards certain specialties. And uh, and, and that's very true. Uh, for me, uh, starting off in respiratory therapy, I was always in the ICU. And so critical care patients just made sense to me. Uh, a lot of my, you know, peers and whatnot were always nervous about those people. They're like, man, they're so sick. And they have all these tubes and lines, but it's life or death decision. Yeah, making, you know, right? but I just saw all those tubes and lines as more information, you know. Hmm. So I was almost more comfortable taking care of a really sick person than a, you know, just normal, healthy eight year old kid that came in. But we, uh, you know, always liked the the critical care aspect of it. And then, of course, the uh, the trauma uh, aspect just kind of goes with me. Uh, I am an adrenaline junkie. I don't mind, you know, getting my hands dirty, which you do in trauma a lot. And really, it kind of just fits, you know, my personality. And that tends to be how it is for most everybody in medicine. You know, if someone tells me, hey, I'm a, you know, a neurologist or I'm a radiologist, instinctively, you already come up with a persona in your head of mm-hmm. what that person's going to be Fair like. Fair or not. That Fair just exists, or not. Right? It just happens. So, uh, and we all joke about it in medicine and, and everybody kind of has the same same thoughts, I think, as far as, you know, what type of persona becomes a, you know, cardiologist, what, mm-hmm. you know, a hematologist and and so for me, it, that's just kind of how I am. You know, I like, I like the high-speed life, and, and uh, you know, the hours get long, but, you know, it's worth it. Do doctors like you, people in that, you know, you're, you're, you're always dealing with trauma. You know, you're, you're always at that level 10 out of 10 in terms of pressure, adrenaline. How do you deal with that emotionally or in terms of health, like the, the cortisol levels and all that stuff? I mean, there, there's a lot of studies that say it's it's not great to live that way for long periods of time. Like, is that something you think about? No, I think about it all the time. And, you know, I'm not terribly old, but I can tell that I'm not going to be able to do this, you know, for 20 years. I understand that. Young trauma folks in their career, young critical care in their career, you tend to, you know, you do get overwhelmed mm-hmm. and there is a, there's a lot of burnout, uh, you know, with critical care, especially in the first five years of, of practice. I think everyone deals with it a little bit differently. I personally learned early on not to bring my work home. I don't talk to my wife about X, Y, and Z things. Uh, you know, she'll ask me how my day is. It was fine. 
you know, and you just go on. Early in my career, I ran a lot, just kind of decompressed, had time to myself. You know, there's a lot of time asking God, questioning God, you know, why things were happening the way they were in people's lives. Um, but I think as we all mature in that aspect, you you do kind of find a way to deal with it, hopefully healthy. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you do see people that, you know, deal with it in unhealthy ways. Um and so it's no secret that, you know, half of all marriages in medicine end in divorce. And uh, that's just how it is. Uh, my wife has been, you know, gracious and loving enough to understand that I will have bad days someday and I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. And I deal with the public all day and, and talk nonstop to people. I don't necessarily want to talk when I get home. It's just, you know, let me just be and I'm just tired of talking, you know, tired of dealing with people, good or bad. I think, you know. At 44 years old uh, or years young, however you want to look at it, what day of the week it is, I'm not the, you know, I'm not the pup I was at 28, 29. Uh, and it, you know, I got more gray than I should have. Yeah. Uh, but I think everyone deals with it a little differently. Uh, I do the best I can. You know, sleep is a big thing and we're always sleep deprived. But, you know, sleep is always a good thing. We work hard and we play hard. So, you know, we just got back from vacation and and, you know, we're going to play hard. You know, if we work hard, we play hard. But I think, uh, I think most everybody kind of figures it out in the first five years for sure. You know, if they want to do it or not do it. And I think really the first six months, you really kind of get a good taste of it. Um, but you know, that's what you were trained for and that's what you go to school for. Um, you can always pivot and go another direction, but you know, somebody has got to do it. Before we get into the the nuts and bolts of of your career, tell me what it's like practicing medicine, you know, according to your specialty in Amarillo compared to like where you've lived in the past. Is the trauma that happens in this area, is it different than than what you might see in Canadian or, or someplace like that? Well, I think what, and this is really something the public in Amarillo doesn't understand. And it's just, we get so much trauma in Amarillo. Um, so... We kind of joke that we're on a, you know, geographical medical island, right? Mm-hmm. You're all by yourselves out here. Um, and, you know, we take trauma from, you know, southern Colorado when the weather's bad and they can't go to Denver. A lot of uh, eastern New Mexico, western Oklahoma, uh, Kansas shows up every once in a while. Uh, it just depends. And so for that reason, you know, the hospitals, we see a lot more trauma than comparable hospitals, you know, throughout the state, uh, our size. And I think really people don't understand that, you know, you have a huge geographical area, which makes up more than a million people. So is it different than Parkland? Yes. You know, is it different than when I was in Boston? Yes. Uh, But the big reason is somebody could get shot in Dallas and they're in Parkland within 15 minutes. Here, you know, something happens in Guymon. Man, it's if the weather permits a helicopter, which a lot of times it doesn't. Yeah. You know, it it could be hours before they show up. Um, and so in that regard, it is different. It's different. You know, when I was in Boston, you know, if you needed anything, you know, there was always somebody who was an expert in that particular thing or this test, you know, we could always run it. Uh, that's not always the luxury, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, thank God we have some, you know, some, some great specialists in Amarillo uh, and some guys that kind of go out of their comfort zone sometimes for us. It didn't matter. You know, Boston had everything. Tulsa had a lot. You know, you come to Amarillo and it's, you got to do what you can do. Right. And, you know, thank God, you know, we have some very talented people that, 
you know, we've been able to crutch along on some things until we can get somebody to Dallas or somebody to even Houston to get to that, you know, world-class expert, uh, just because there's nobody between here and there that can take care of it. So you're just like stabilizing somebody. Man, it, it's, it. yeah, you do your best. And, it, uh, and you know, if we can keep it, we want to keep it, you know, for the people of Amarillo. So they're not having to always go somewhere and be away from home and family and friends. But there is, and that's just the nature of the beast. You know, I have friends in Abilene and, and they have the same problem. You know, yeah. they're like, we send stuff off to Dallas all the time, you know, or, uh, you know, especially pediatrics. Sometimes it's you lack on some, you know, just that super, super subspecialist in pediatrics. That's a challenge, but we rise to it and we, we've met it on more than one occasion. But trauma is, is, is always here in Amarillo. People don't realize it, that we get as much as we do. We get a lot of blunt trauma. We don't get as many gunshots, knives, that sort of stuff as you would in the bigger cities, but we get a ton of you know blunt trauma just right. from the amount of highway system we have in the Panhandle. Agriculture, accidents. agriculture, man. I, I I go to conferences and you know everybody's got pictures and stories to tell, and of course the guys from the Northeast want to talk about you know oh this guy lost his hand to a snowblower or oh this person you know fell through the ice. We're always like, well, this guy lost his hand to a cotton gin or, you know, this guy was wrapped up in a trailer from, you know, a farm equipment accident. So, you know, everywhere's got different things, but it just, uh, it, it is, you know, you treat the population and our population, a lot of it is farming and agriculture. I had friends in Boston who had never seen or thought that a cow could hurt a human being. Wow. Okay. You know, and I'm like, man, that's every week, Yeah. you know, yeah. but at the same time, we don't think about people getting run over by snowmobiles, you know? I, I want to talk a little bit about just your, I don't know, your day-to-day, -day. Uh, because w what I know of physicians in this area, especially with Texas Tech, um, they often have like multiple titles. Your name tag says faculty associate, you know, surgery, but I know that like you do a lot more than that. So give me sort of the breadth of, of what you do, what you're responsible for. So day-to-day, -day, and you're correct, we all have to wear multiple hats, and that's that's just academic medicine to begin with. Right. So my day starts in the the surgical ICU. Uh, I'm the medical director for surgical ICU at Northwest. We'll round in the ICU. You know, that starts off a big multidisciplinary rounding service. So we'll have our pharmacist, our nutritionist, but I also have a covey of students with me. Okay. And so that's how you can usually tell it's, it's one of the critical care teams is we always have a, you know, uh, medical students, PA students, pharmacy students, pharmacy residents, uh, family medicine resident may be with us. So there's a huge covey of people. And so we'll make rounds in the ICU. That kind of depends, you know, on how the census is, how long that takes, how sick, you know, quality versus quantity of patients. Then we are always available for traumas. So, you know, we live and die by the electronic leash, right? Mm -hmm. So you're always got to be available for, for traumas. I or mean, you've got your phone with you now. Always, and I, always. I know that it's, it's on your mind, right? Yeah. So it's, it's always there. Uh, and, you know, until seven o'clock or five o'clock this afternoon, it's going to, you know, it's going to stay on my hip. And then, of course, ORs, you know, if we have any OR cases for, you know, the departments or any of our partners, you have the OR responsibility also. I personally don't go to the clinic. It's, you know, I don't, I don't have an outpatient clinic to go to, but a lot of my partners do. Uh, so I have clinic also. But me in general, it's mainly the ICU. That's okay. my, that's my baby. And then, and then, like I say, for trauma activations, you know, we, we're going to be down there for that. I feel like you're, you know, you're always on call. Doesn't matter if you're on or not. Right, right. Somebody's going to call you. 
if they need help and that's fine. But uh, most of the day, you know, a lot of it's, you know, patient care, but there's a lot of education. I mean, you got these medical and PA students who are just trying to find themselves and, and, and make a name and, and learn. So you're all constantly educating. Yeah, I, w- I want to talk about that because, you know, a lot of people think of an educator as somebody standing in a classroom teaching a group of students. It's different, you know, with what you do. And I wonder how you balance that provision of care in a critical situation with also the idea that you've got these young medical students who are watching everything you do. You want to teach them in the process. Like, how do you juggle all those things together? Well, I kind of, I joke with people that medical education, uh, it's a lot of on the job and people don't realize that. Yes, there's a very rigorous uh, academic classroom aspect of it, but you have to realize, you know, your third and fourth year of medical school, uh, your second year PA school, and then any residency that's really kind of on the job training. Okay. And that's, that's, you know, people don't necessarily think of it that way, but that's, I simplify it down to that. And so I love to lead by example. And, you know, I always tell the kids, look, you know, you're going to treat these people like your family. That's how you should look at it day in, day out. How do you want your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother to be taken care of? And then, yes, you want to teach them the, the medical practice aspect of it. But like we said, you have to also teach them, okay, how do we balance life? You know, and then how do we balance a bedside manner? Someone's spitting, cussing, screaming at you. How do you you center yourself to say, okay, you know, it's not them, it's not me, it's it's a situation, and just not you know lose it on somebody, right? But it is. It's a it's a constant teaching, talking. But I'll be honest with you, it makes me smarter too. Okay, you know, because those kids will ask me questions and and they'll say, hey, what about this? You know. And you'll be like, well, uh, let's talk about that, you know, and I'm, I'm reaching back in the back of my brain going, okay, oh God, when was the last time we saw a scleroderma patient? But it, I think it makes me better as a clinician also just because they keep you on your toes because you never know what they're going to ask you, but it's, uh, it's good. I've, you know, I tell them sometimes I don't know the answer and we'll go look it up. You know, let me teach you how to find an answer if you don't know it. And that's, that's one thing it's hard for them to, to grasp. I feel like, especially with this generation, it's. I don't know is a, is an answer and it's not a wrong answer, but you know, it's just teaching them to let's work through the process, uh, and figure this out and then work as a team. And that's something that medicine more and more is getting to is it's gotta be a multidisciplinary approach. We have multiple people who are experts at certain things, uh, on rounds with us. And there's a reason they're there, Yeah, you know, don't ignore them. Don't blow them off. You know, you don't have to be the smartest person in the world you just, you need to be a good leader is what okay. you need to be. One of the reasons you ended up on my radar is because you launched a medical publication um, over the past, I guess, few months. Uh, so, so tell me about that process and, and sort of the decision-making that led to that. So that process was the creation of the West Texas Journal of Medicine. Uh, it actually started probably in December of 2021 is when it really it kind of came to the decision to, to push forward with it. And so myself and a, a former Texas Tech faculty pharmaceutical colleague, uh, Dr. Uh, Megan Whitworth, and I were working on a, a publication, and we had submitted it, and the journal we had submitted it to said, hey, we love it. It's a great study, uh, but we think it would be more appropriate for our sister publication. And we said, okay, you know, not, not a big deal. And then that publication came back to us and said, hey, we love it. We like everything about it, but we need $3,000 to publish it. (laughs) 
I personally thought it was a joke. I was like, are, are they serious? Like, like we did all this work and we have this mm-hmm. nice study and you know, why are we, why are we being asked to pay for it? Typically magazines give you money. Exactly. And so, you know, all my publications prior, you know, you usually got a small honorarium, but you know, you weren't going to make a living off of sure. it, but it encouraged you to, you know, try to get published. And she informed me, she said, no, this is, this is kind of the world we live in now. This is, you know, all of our students and, so the more I researched it, the more I kind of started figuring out that this is how it is now. So uh, it's what I like to call predatory publications. Okay. And so in the old days, quote unquote, right, I would subscribe to a journal. That journal would send me a paper copy of that journal. There would be advertisements, and I paid for that. But nowadays, everything's paperless. So that publication doesn't get sent out. It gets put online. Right. And so therefore, the people you know producing that the revenue stream is much different. So they don't have advertisers. They don't have people subscribing to paper you know, publications. They have fewer costs because they're not printing a physical product. But at the same time, you know, and that's how I looked at it was like, well, it should be cheaper, shouldn't it, guys? But it's really kind of it's become a world where, you know, to get ahead in medicine, especially, you know, being published, right. being able to say I've been published and researched is a is a tremendous thing. And there's people that have, you know, said, okay, well, we can, we can get you published, but it's a, it's a pay to place sort yeah, of scenario. Exactly. So the more I researched it, the more I found out that as far as Texas Tech Amarillo went, we had a ton of publications and studies that, you know, students and faculty had put together, but no one's got tens of thousands of dollars laying around right. to get published. And myself and Dr. Whitworth, I just kind of said, hey, let's start a journal. And she looked at me and she said, are you serious? I said, yeah, I think we could do it. And she said, okay, you know, let's, let's kind of get our toes wet in this and see what happens. And so that kind of started it. COVID put a, put a big dent into, you know, our, our speedy plans that we had in our minds and what we thought was going to be something we could do in a couple of months rolled into a year, but we were able to find a platform that suited all of our needs, uh, found some financing to pay for that platform and found a really put together a great team of editors section editors for the journal uh, and really kind of started kicking it out. We had a call for submissions, uh, put out our first publication, our first issue, excuse me, in uh, December of last year, had our second issue come out just two days ago, a little delayed, but we had some really big, nice research projects and, and, and write-ups that we, we wanted to do, but we had to, you know, wait on them to get completely finished. So, we, uh, you know, we're already looking at the third issue. Mm-hmm. I think third issue will come out pretty quick. But really, it gives a platform to where we said, okay, if you're within Texas Tech, Amarillo in general, West Texas, we're not going to make you pay to be published. We understand that you put the time and effort into it. We can put in a little bit on our end and put this out. We have said, if you're outside Texas Tech, outside Amarillo, outside West Texas, we may ask for you know, a small, maybe a hundred dollars. Okay. Just to kind of offset some of the costs that we do have because we do have to pay for the platform and other things. But in the big scheme of things, hundred dollars is a lot more attractive than 3000. Exactly. The journal has been a, you know, been a pretty big success. I feel like for as young as it is, mm-hmm. a lot of interest, a lot of uh, positive feedback. We have a, of course the website, you know, West Texas, uh, and we have a Twitter feed. Okay. So we have, you know, quite a few followers on Twitter now following the journal. The response we've gotten from the medical community, you know, throughout the state is, you know, thank God. Thank you guys for doing this because 
no one, especially in academic medicine, has that type of money to, to publish. But I feel like it's one of those things that if people go out and do the time and effort to do a study or to write something up, that should be, they felt like it should be shared. We want to give them a platform mm-hmm. to, to try. We are kind of stingy. Uh, we, we're not a turnstile publication. Right. You know, we, You're not just taking no, every submission. No, no, no. You know, and, and that was tough. Our first issue, we had, we had quite a few submissions, uh, submissions from some of my partners you know, and within the Department of Surgery that we said, okay, look, we like it, but you're six months behind, you know, this COVID stuff or you're, you know, this, there's quite a bit out there on this already. And I'd tell some of my partners like, hey, man, I know, I know you guys were working with some students on this, but we're just not looking for that right now. Right. And so that was tough. But like I say, we have a great editorial board uh, spanned out across the United States, actually. Okay. So it's not just, uh, you know, we didn't want to make it just all Texas Tech faculty or affiliated with Texas Tech. Dr. Whitworth uh, is taking a position in Georgia, so she's at the okay. University of Georgia now. We have faculty uh, at the you know, University of uh, Utah uh, for our basic science. Ariel Santos in uh, Lubbock is our surgery uh, section editor. Our nutritionist who is in charge of our allied health section was at Duke, and she subsequently has moved back. Uh, but... You know, we try to keep it where, you know, we have a broad voice of people who don't feel connected to Texas Tech okay. directly to where they're going to say, well, I don't want to step on this person's toe. Right, right. So we have a very discerning voice. Uh, and my editors are, you know, they're very strong-willed, educated people. And uh, thank God, because there's been a couple of times I've had to say, hey, man, I liked it. But, but this my, guy my over here, you know. I, I have to answer to them. I'm familiar with publishing. I'm not familiar with the world of medical journals. You know, I, I know the New England Journal of Medicine, you know. Yeah. Are there other regional journals like that? Like, or is what you're doing new or fresh or something that's not really being done because of the reality of, of publishing these days? It's it's being done, but on more of a global slash predatory basis in my okay. mind. So so there's not like every part of Texas doesn't no, have its own no, journal no. of medicine or... No, and then, and we joked about it, you know, when I said, okay, guys, I want to call it the West Texas Journal of Medicine. You know, a couple of the editors looked at me and they said, really? Just West Texas? And I said, hey, New England Journal of Medicine was just New England at one point. Yeah. You know, so not necessarily. There's nobody else in the state uh, I know of right now. There are some very small niche type journals, you know, related to just one aspect of medicine, be it pediatric cancer treatment, you know, or something like that. We tried to just say, okay, we're going to have a multidisciplinary. We're not going to exclude anybody. You know, if you're a physical therapist and you guys did a a study and you want to publish it, uh, we're not going to say, hey, you know, you're not, you're not welcome. You know, if you, if you have something you think worthy, uh, we'll take it, you know, and look at it. And the other thing is I wanted a journal that was readable, and that's the problem with medicine nowadays. Right, yeah. You can pick up New England Journal, and there's some things in there I don't even... You've you got know. to have a base level yeah, of education you know? that I probably don't have. No, and you just kind of read it, and you're like, holy cow, you know. So I wanted something that was applicable, you know, that everybody who read it could take something away from it, no matter what you did in medicine, but also interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was always kind of the thing I, I kind of, you know, some of the journals I read are just pure research-based. And man, that'll put you to sleep real quick. And But there are some that are a little bit more diverse, a little bit, and that's what I said. I said, okay, look, if, if you know, there's something weird on a CT, like we need to write that up, you know, make that interesting because yeah. this doesn't happen all the time. 
and just make it where, you know, there are some interesting things along with it. So that's been a big focus is, okay, we want to add to the body of knowledge, but at the same time, if you just went to the website and you said, hey, you know, I got five minutes, Mm -hmm. you know, is there something on there I can read in five minutes? Yes, there will be something you could read in five minutes, learn something, hopefully see something new. And that was kind of a big part of it for me is so many of them are boring. And I'm sorry, you know, I know they have their place. But if you're not a, you know, bench uh, scientist, you know, sitting at the beakers all day stirring stuff, sometimes it's just, it's dry. And and that's not what I wanted to produce. One of the things that occurs to me is that there's, there's sort of an entrepreneurial aspect of this. Not that you're you're trying to make money, you know, by publishing a medical journal, but that you saw that there was a need for something. And instead of just thinking, oh, you know, that's lame. I wish that we could do this. You said, well, I'll just create something that kind of fills that need. Um, and, and it strikes me that that's, that's a mindset that a lot of people have here. I mean, entrepreneurship is very big in this area. There's this, you know, bootstrap mentality. Exactly. If, if we don't have something nice, then we'll just make it ourselves. And I, I wonder, like, can you connect that drive that you have to maybe the the culture or the mindset of this region? Yeah, I think for sure. And people that come to Amarillo new in the medical field, I try to tell them all the time, look, people in the Panhandle are not like the people in Dallas. They're not like the people in Houston. These are folks that, you know, the land was tough when their forefathers got here. They stuck it out. These are these are tough folks. It's bad in a way for medicine because when somebody does show up with a bad gallbladder, it's real bad. Yeah, you like know, they just have thought, I'll just grit my teeth and get through this. Right? Yeah, you know, it's indigestion, you know, or it's heartburn. I'll just keep going. So in that regard, your patient population, you know, they just don't come running to you for every little, oh, I got a cut. You know, it's a, well, you know, we cut ourselves on bob wire last week and, you know, we just kind of patched it up and went on our way and take down these bandages and you're like... What? Like, where were you guys, you know? Um, it's the same thing. And I feel like, like you say, in this area, there's so many. And that was one thing I loved about Amarillo was, you know, when we got here, there was a lot of quote-unquote mom and pops. We left Tulsa and there wasn't a whole bunch. Uh, and, and Boston is all corporate, I feel like, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, but here you had places like, you know, the Water Still and Roasters. Uh, I bought my wife a 20-year uh, anniversary ring and I went to Grand Brothers and it was it's always like, oh, Lex Graham grew up in Amarillo, yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh, this is your dad, Perry. He was here too, you know. Uh, so it was it was very nice to see that aspect of Amarillo for me, not being you know being transported and transplanted into Amarillo, I should say. But yeah, no, it's it's kind of one of those things. Uh, I wasn't raised in the Panhandle, but I, I kind of like to say I have that mentality also that you're right. Dad used to always say, if you never ask, the answer is no. Hmm. So if we're gonna fall forward on our face, at least we fell forward trying, yeah. right? So uh, we're not falling back. And, and that's kind of, you know, we had nothing to lose to try it. And that's how I looked at it. It was just time and effort. Yeah, it was a little bit of money. But uh, in the big scheme of things, it was, it was a benefit to everybody who's been involved, uh, the community, the region. I'm not trying to retire off this thing, you know, but that's okay. You don't get to take it with you anyways, right? Yeah. So uh, we don't worry too much about the finances until it comes time to pay the the bill for the platform uh, and the website. Uh, then I got to kind of go to tech and talk to Dean Weiss and say, hey, can we borrow a little bit of money? Yeah. So, but you're exactly right. It is, it was Dr. Withworth. She grew up in Pampa and, and she never blinked twice about it. And she said, okay, let's do it. But that's kind of been a driving force and, and something that has been, you know, it's a need. This episode of Hey Amarillo is supported by SKP Creative. 
We live in an online world and online reviews have the ability to make or break your business. Reviews powered by SKP Creative is the fastest and easiest way to get great reviews from your loyal customers on the platforms of your choice. There's no complicated setup, no expensive training, just a simple, intuitive interface created with small business owners in mind. Visit reviews.skpcreative.com to start generating more reviews for your business today. That's reviews.skpcreative.com. Okay, I'm back with Shane Harper. Shane, this is part of the show I call 8 Straight. 8 Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes the fossilized skeleton of an Allosaurus, one of the most dangerous meat-eating dinosaurs of the late Jurassic period. It was 30 feet tall, and it is still one of the most popular pieces in the museum's collection. You can learn more and see it at panhandleplains.org. Okay, first question, Shane, is when you think of Amarillo 10 years from now, what do you hope for? More trees. So so everybody get started planting, right? Exactly. Or get started planting 20 years ago. Exactly. Uh, I think it's one thing we we need more of. You know, they're cheap to start off, and, and it makes a big difference, especially up here. Okay. Other than wind, what does this area have too much of? Oh, man. Empty spaces without trees. So <laughs> uh, I I would be tempted. The first thing that comes to mind is always dust. I feel like it's yeah. always dusty here. Uh, we have, you know, too many patients that suffer with allergies, and I'm one of them. Okay. The, uh, the rain maybe has helped that recently, but it's introduced a whole lot of other molds and spores and things exactly. like that, right? Okay, what does this area not have enough of? I'm going to get on a soapbox a little bit here. Uh, I love Amarillo, but I wish we had more kind of civic spaces, public spaces that were maybe a little developed. Okay. Okay. My only thought is uh, when we went to Tulsa, one of the things I loved about Tulsa uh, is that every exit or every on-ramp, uh, they have a program called Up With Trees. Citizens can, uh, you know, kind of inherit this little spot, pay for this spot, uh, sponsor a spot. And they have a sign that says up with trees sponsored by, you know, Jason Boyette. Okay. Or, you know, heyamarello.com or in loving memory of so-and-so. Uh, and they kind of landscape that area. Okay. And so that, that person, that organization is responsible for that. I didn't really appreciate it until we left. And then I came, we came to Amarillo and I thought, man, up with Trees would be an awesome program for Amarillo. It was nice because I felt like businesses had a tax write-off. Mm-hmm. Uh, people had somewhere to kind of commemorate loved ones or something. And then some people, I think, just did it to brag, you know? Yeah, get their name on a sign. Exactly. And, and you know, but I feel like that's one thing I wish we had more of. Uh, I don't, you know, I think it's kind of a, uh, a cultural thing. I think there are... A lot of discussions happening right now that I know of regarding civic beautification and those kinds of programs are part of it, but it's one of those things that because it's connected to, let's say the highway system or TxDOT and decision makers who are not necessarily here, it's a really complex process of getting that started. And so I'm always jealous of places like Tulsa that navigated that process probably a generation ago. And now they've got all this nice stuff. And I think it's just now... The conversations are just starting to happen here. Yeah. I feel like, you know, we go to DFW, even going to Albuquerque. I went to Albuquerque last year for the first time. I was amazed at, mm-hmm. you know, just... Alongside the highway. Exactly. Yeah. You know, 
And so, and that's one thing I'd love to see kind of, if there's one thing I'd say Emerald needs to work on, it'd be like, hey, let's let's get this going, guys. Okay. Uh, that's one thing I'd like to see more of. Okay. I agree with that. What's the most underrated thing about living in Amarillo? Uh, I'm going to say the people by far. So a lot of people, a lot of my friends come and visit, uh, and they're like, what do y'all do here? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, there's quite a bit to do. But I know flying in on an airplane, it doesn't look like it. Uh, and everything looks brown and flat and there's no trees, but I still think it's the people. And, you know, when we moved here, uh, a fellow told me, he said, if you're here for uh, long enough to wear, wear out a pair of shoes, you're going to be here for life. Wow. Okay. And I kind of just, okay, you know, and, you know, went on my way. I see it happen all the time now. You know, people that came here for, you know, a temporary job or something and they stay. And, you know, it always goes back to, you know, well, I found a good group of friends. I found some, you know, people that I could relate with and people are nice and, you know, Massachusetts is beautiful. We'd never live there again. Hmm. Just everybody's, everybody's your enemy until you prove to be their friend. You know, that's how they, that's how I describe Massachusetts. Uh, In Amarillo, everybody tends to kind of be your friend until you prove to be their enemy, Mm -hmm. you know? So I'd like to think everybody here is, is good hearted to begin with. And so I think it's the people. Okay. What's your favorite local coffee shop? So, uh, full disclosure, I don't drink coffee at local coffee shops because I'm always going to work extremely early or extremely mm-hmm. late coming home. Uh, I posed this question to the to my family at the dinner table last night, and it was roasters. Okay. So, wife and and two teenagers, just no 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 hesitation. So uh, they're going during normal business hours. Probably, probably. So uh, I'm I'm pretty sure the Harper household is is putting our money towards roasters. Okay. What's your favorite local restaurant or food truck? So uh, a nice meal, uh, OHMS is uh, is where me and my wife like to go. Uh, if it's kind of a family outing uh, or even ca- uh, calling in a pizza, it's a fire slice pizza. Okay. So that's that's our two. Uh, Nomad Pizza, their food truck, I was always a big fan of uh, when it was at Pondicetta mm-hmm. uh, set up. Uh, I think that I think they have great pizza. I don't think it's just because I was at Pondicetta. No, but they've got a brick and mortar location. Now that's too, what I so hear. It's... We haven't made it yet, but we're going to make it. So yeah, probably OHMS and Fire Slice. Okay. What's your favorite Amarillo neighborhood? Ooh, uh, Creighton Park in Sleepy Hollow is by far the greatest neighborhood. <laughs> so. I will say that just because it'll help my property value. Uh, <laughs> honestly, uh, when we moved to Amarillo, uh, we looked at Wolfland. I love the pavered streets, the big trees, the old architecture. But then the you know real estate agent ran us over to like the colonies and the greenways. Mm-hmm. And then I, I love the new construction. I love the, you know, I think uh, a lot of places, I don't have one place I could just not find something good about. Even out, you know, Lake Tanglewood, you, of course, you have the lake and River Falls. You have, you know, kind of the scenic beauty. So I kind of like everything has a good a good aspect to it. Yeah, by far Creighton Park, uh, great neighborhood. and uh, Pretty easy commute from there. Super easy commute and, uh, and nice trees, and that's exactly why we bought our house. Okay. When was the last time you visited the Big Texan? So I have only been to the Big Texan a handful of times, but the last time was we had a medical student gentleman who wanted to try the 72 ounce challenge uh and we actually went out there with him a whole large group of us uh, i was there for moral support 
Uh, or emergency trauma. Emergency, state. yeah. Went south. Uh, and he uh, he did us proud, and he he took it down. I think like eighteen minutes. Wow, that's pretty yeah. impressive. Yeah, big fella. He was from the Caribbean. Played soccer at Stanford. Uh, you know, worked out all the time. Mm-hmm. Took in like five six thousand calories a day. But yeah, no problem. Never looked back. Um, I was I was impressed. Okay, well, it's it's not always uh, that you get to see somebody actually finish it. So exactly, that's, that's good. Okay, well, Shane, that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing you would like listeners to know about or to experience? It's hard to endorse anything when you're trauma critical care because your patients come to you. Mm-hmm. I don't have to advertise, right? If you're going to get shot, you're going to get shot. Uh, but I do think uh, I think the listeners, a lot of people don't appreciate, like I say, the medical community in Amarillo um, and how big it truly is. Uh, you know, in Texas Tech in general. So I'd say, you know, there's definitely a time and a place when you need to go to DFW, you know, a kid needs to go to Cook's uh, or, you know, you need to go to Denver and that's fine. But I think a lot of people kind of, you know, say, oh, we're just going to, you know, head to Lubbock. There's so many great, great providers here in town that, you know, you say, oh, well, we need to go to Scott and White because that's the place to go. And it's like, well, have you met David Brabham? Because he trained at Scott and White and he was a chief resident and, you know, he was there and and people don't think about that, hmm. you know, and you don't think that all these places people want to run off to, you know, those are all places that a lot of people here in Amarillo have trained. Uh, and I think that's the biggest thing is people kind of see it as a necessity when they have to. Uh, but if it was up to them, they would, you know, take off to X, Y, and Z because right. it's a little nicer building. It's a little fancier. There's a lot of great providers, you know, at Northwest and BSA and uh, even the VA. You know, I know everybody uh, has their opinions about different things. But I think, honestly, Amarillo, you know, you don't really get to see that glory come through a lot of times. Uh, I was really, really proud of of both hospitals and and our service during the tornado episode at Perryton, you know. And so I felt good when, you know, push came to shove and people were, you know, it was a situation people had to act it was you know everything went as well as could be um so that's really kind of you know that would be my one big endorsement is is i would say recognizing you know tech and everything it's offered to the community i was not aware at all that we had the resources we do at tech until i got here and to be honest with you i've met people that have lived here their whole life and they're like oh texas tech is in lubbock or you're like no no those large groups of buildings across the street from northwest is all texas tech and now you got the vet school, uh, Dean Lonel Reagan and his crew is, you know, doing some amazing things over yeah. there. And so I think there's more going, you know, medically in general here, uh, than people realize the pharmacy school, the nursing schools at WT and AC respiratory therapy at, uh, at AC. Uh, there's a lot, you know, we produce a lot of, of, of professionals out of this community. Uh, and I don't think people realize it, you know, right now there's 600 pharmacy students in Amarillo. Nobody knows yeah, that. Yeah, that's an incredible number. Yeah, you know, 150 medical students in Amarillo. Nobody realizes we, we kick out that many kids. So that would be my two cents. Okay. to say, you know, uh, support the local guys. So that, That's worthwhile. Well, Shane Harper, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. No, I appreciate it so much, Jason. Thank you so much for having us. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks again to Shane for the interview. You can learn more about the West Texas Journal of Medicine at westtexasjom.org. Thanks to SKP Creative, Starlight Canyon Bed and Breakfast, and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for sponsoring Hey Amarillo. And thanks to Angelina Marie for editing the show. 
Thank you for listening. I'm, I'm glad that, uh, that you listen every week or that you listen to this episode. Hey Amarillo exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Patrick Burns, Katie Linger, Jason Burr, Josh Wood, Corey Burns, Wes Reeves, Cindy Graham, and Barbara and Jim Witten. This has been episode 311, 311. I don't know why I said it, 311. That's what I did. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week. 